Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Why do we look to make additions when trying to solve a problem or work through some of our many life transitions? What if we reversed the equation and considered what we could subtract to improve our lives? University of Virginia engineering professor Lydie Klotz has given this idea much thought, so much so that he wrote the book Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. I believe the ability to subtract helps us in our journey to define what enough is within our lives, a topic that has been central to many conversations as people continue to encounter expected and unexpected life transitions. With most people, parents in particular, the problem is we are overloaded. We have roared back from the COVID pandemic, determined to get back to our overscheduling and thus stressed out lives. But what if we can take a step back and recall one of the benefits of COVID if we were lucky enough to see it? The ability to remove things from our lives, which in turn, make us happier. This is the most significant takeaway from reading Lydie's book, which was reinforced during our conversation. We are biologically conditioned to feel more competent and happier when we add things to our lives. But in reality, those additions create the opposite effect. Please enjoy my conversation with Lydie Klotz. So Lydie Klotz, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. So, um, and I, uh, hopefully you don't mind the the professional uh, persistence I had with trying to get you on, but I am a huge fan of, of your book, Subtract, which we're going to get into, which I think not only takes a different look at how to implement change in one's life, but I think as we were just talking before we hit record, there are a, a lot of parents that listen to uh, my podcast mainly because most people know that I'm the father of triplets plus one. So um, anything that we can do to create more um, harmony, not necessarily balance in our lives, um, it's always a, always a plus. Well, that's why I came on. I'm, I'm hoping for some harmony in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's, let's actually start with, with your background. Cause I find it interesting. Cause that was the other thing we were talking about Um that some people may or not, may or not know about me is like before I got into my corporate world and even into starting Tama, I was an engineer um, uh, by my undergrad degree. And so you're actually an engineer professor at, at UVA. So why don't you walk us through your background and then how you came to write the book Subtract? Yeah, I mean, I can give the background from like you said, majoring as in engineering as an undergrad, I've, I've always been interested in kind of how the world works and then trying to make the world better. And people always said, well, engineering, you know, this is this fundamental degree about 
solving problems and you'll get like some good transferable skills there. And I majored in civil engineering because I was interested in big things and didn't want to take organic chemistry. Um, and uh, so, you know, eventually kind of worked my way into the built environment and, and stuff like that. And um, I, I worked for a while building schools in New Jersey. I started to get interested in sustainability issues. So climate change in particular um, and, you know, buildings in the built environment have a massive contribution there, um, both negative for the most part, but also an incredible amount of positive potential. So um, like buildings, for example, use more or use more energy, contribute more CO2 emissions than planes and cars combined. And for the most part, uh, I mean, cars have to move. So you kind of need the fuel, but the buildings are, are sitting there and we can do a lot better. We can be a lot more efficient. Like there's there are net zero energy buildings out there today. Um, so, I mean, I was kind of following this path from like, okay, solving problems, engineering, big stuff, looking at uh, looking at the contribution of these these things that I study to the built environment, to climate change and, and big issues. And, you know, there was a gap between the technology that's available and the implementation basically, right? And so when you start to, think about like, okay, well, it's possible to do this thing, but we're not doing it. Then you start to look at other reasons why that might be the case, right? So like economic reasons and um, political, social reasons, and then just kind of basic mindset reasons. And that's what led to the research on kind of design decision-making or engineering decision-making and just decision-making in general with the subtract book um, that, uh, you know, I, I'm interested in how we make change, how we make positive change in the world. And this is a kind of fundamental oversight in how we do that, that we don't think about subtraction as readily as we think about adding stuff to what's already there. One of does the, that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> it does. I, I think, and I've heard you do interviews before, and obviously in reading your book, you give this really great example with playing with your son and, and Legos. And why don't you... I know you probably told this story a thousand times, but maybe it's it's a great story. It It reminds me of my son. It's like the best. uh, Yeah. Sometimes you get tired of telling stories, but when they remind you of your three-year-old kid, you're like, I'm happy to go back in time to that. And it's funny because it's been told so many times that somebody described it to me as this apocryphal story. And then I had to look up what apocryphal meant and apocryphal means not true. And I'm like, no, that's true. It's a true story. (laughs) It's just a really good one. Um, so yeah, my we were playing with Duplo blocks at the time, and um, here I can show you Paul because we're on Zoom. But the uh, we basically had this situation where the we're making a bridge, and the bridge wasn't level. So one of the columns, one of the Lego columns, was shorter than the other Lego column. So I tried to solve this problem, turned around behind me, grabbed the block to add to the shorter column to make the level bridge, but. Uh, by the time I could turn back around, my son had removed a block from the longer column and had made the level bridge. And I, like I said, I'd always been interested in sustainability or you had for, for a long time been interested in sustainability and engineering, long time interested in these kind of elegant designs. But right there in front of me was this like really clear demonstration of the, of the cognitive oversight, which I had experienced in that moment, which was like, okay, here's this thing we want to improve. In this case, it's a Lego bridge, but in other cases, it's your your social calendar or your um some piece of writing that you're working on uh 
when we were tasked with these things that we want to make better, why is it that our first thought is to what can we add as opposed to um, what can we take away? One of one of the things that that you noted in in your book was that you know why does why does adding make us feel more content or happier than taking something away to get to the same end result? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a great point. So the, uh, and again, it's not necessarily that the problem here isn't that we add the problem is that we think of adding and then move on. Um, and therefore don't even consider this basic option. The, one of the, one of the barriers that taking away faces is that we just aren't able to display competence, right? We're not able to show that we're effectively interacting with the world. So for example, uh, I mean, I talked about the Lego example, but this, this extends across like physical objects, ideas, and, and situations. So if you think about it in terms of your parenting, right? If I go to the parent teacher um, event that we had last night at our school, that was awesome. It's like, everybody sees that I'm a, a competent parent. Like I, I did that thing. Um, and I, I mean, that's a good addition. Everybody should probably do that if they have the privilege of being able to. But when you do some kind of something that's a subtraction, for example, okay, my son who played with the Lego tower is now almost eight years old. And it's like, it's a big deal for him to do things with friends around the neighborhood on their own. Right. So if I right. like, I'm like, okay, yeah, why don't you guys, you know, ride bikes around the block and I'm sitting there nervous at home, but nobody sees me. Um, and so I've like, I've subtracted myself to make Ezra's situation better but uh there's i'm not displaying parenting competence in that in that way so and you can think about this across all different you know it's often talked about in terms of physical uh physical competence right like we accumulate things to show that we can effectively interact with the world but uh it, it applies in in all areas and it, and it makes us when we add something it displays competence when we subtract something there's no it's competent, but there's no evidence of it. One of the other points that that you brought up is this um, head head head. I can never pronounce it right. Hedonic treadmill. Yeah, and I'm really interested in this because it goes back to this idea that I've been really chewing on for the last several years, and especially I think with my own life and having you know uh, Teresa, my wife, you know has a her, her career. We have these triple plus ones. Um, I work with a lot of families that are dual income, multiple kids, triplets, twins, three or more kids, you know, you name it. And we're, we're all on this treadmill. And one of these, this, this idea that I've been struggling with over the years and working with the families that I do is this, how to define enough. And when I was reading your book, that, that idea it always kept coming back to the forefront for me and how with the insights that you've gained and, and, and research putting your book together. And, and since then talk to us about, or if you can bring that back with, are there any insights that, that you've gleaned over the years in your research um, in helping people define what enough is? Hmm. I, yeah, I think it's, 
I it's guess a tough the, one. <laughs> it is a tough one, yeah. And I mean, but it's the it's an important one. And it's like I think it comes back to that. How do you um how do you do you take the time to think about what really matters, right? Do you get all the way back to the the values or the you know the the why at the core of of what you're doing right and so it's really easy to get caught up in that hedonic treadmill where you're you know it's kind of keeping up with the joneses or you're doing this thing just because it's it's available to you right it's like you know oh look i can sign the kid up for another sport and you know why wouldn't i do that uh and you know, you make that decision without kind of going back to what the root values are or the root goals are. And, you know, then if you say like, okay, well, our goal for our eight-year-old is to have him be a, a well-balanced person who has a happy, um, who's fulfilled in his own life and is like pushing himself to learn about the world or, or whatever. We're helping put him in situations where he can grow. Um, then you can kind of more accurately evaluate those additions, which I think, you know, you asked in your own research, and this is probably where it gets back to the research, because we see that if like our, we, we use addition as a substitute for thinking, right? Um, and so left to our own devices, we're going to keep piling these things on. And um, so if you can kind of have this built-in check where you're like, okay, what's the goal here? Is this addition really like moving me in the direction of my goal? And many times it will be. Um, but the, the ones where it's not, or the, that's the, those are the ones that are beyond enough, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting point. I never, I never thought about that that way where you said we use addition as a substitute for thinking. Um, do you, and because you work with young people, obviously being a, a a college professor, do you do you see that a lot with the students? Um, that that's kind of like their their mentality or their their way of thinking. And if so, how do you, I guess, for lack of a better term, help them course correct and you, try to open it up and see it from a different angle? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I don't I don't think the students are any better or worse at it than the grown-ups um grown-ups in <laughs> quotes uh i do think there are a lot of structures put in place in their lives that um that kind of make them like reinforce this adding tendency right so for example if you're saying okay a paper has to be at least 10 pages that's very different than saying a paper can be no longer than 10 pages right so one of those is saying like this is length really matters and it's got to be longer and one of those is saying hey look things can be better if you actually take away um even better with one thing that i try to do is to like encourage that improvement through subtraction because like what we're talking about here are, are is taking things away to make them better not even taking things away as a sacrifice so um you know, assigning a 10 page paper due halfway through the semester, right? And then a five page version of that same paper due a month later. And then the final paper is a, is a two pager. And now you're like, you're getting around that competence, right? Because to show competence, people actually do have to subtract. Plus, you're giving them the time to 
you know, make something better by, by taking away. And, and they're, they're seeing that, Hey, that two pager is, is much more powerful than the, than the watered down 10 pager um, would have been. Uh, so, I mean, that's like kind of one way you can flip those structures around and you can think about that in other uh, doing that in other, uh, other application areas, even if you're not a, even if you're not a teacher, but I do think that they're, um, the the tendency is just been to kind of pile on. Um, and if you look at how curricula grow or how like topics in an individual class grow, it's not much different than how just the things in your life grow, right? It's like, okay, I was doing all this stuff and now I want to do one more thing. And so you pile it on and that's like, okay, we were teaching all of these things and now somebody discovered this new bias of subtraction neglect. We better teach people about it and you just add it to the list you don't uh you don't think about okay well now now we're putting more stuff in here what do we take out to make it uh and i mean we we try to do a better job than that but the like again the the tendency is for this 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 stuff to grow yeah i think i think that kind of coincides well with with um parenting in that i think you you mentioned it earlier where we keep stacking you know, one activity after another on to our kids and we get to the point where it's like, okay, back to that. Well, what's enough. And I know that there's some parents that are, this is, this sounds uh, (laughs) probably not great, but long for the days of when we were locked up in COVID because Mm -hmm. it was the first time that we really slowed down. And why? Because all these things were subtracted or taken away from, from our, in our normal lives. And I, I think that's one message that I hear over and over when I'm, when I'm talking with families is that, you know, we are, we feel, I feel like we're just in a whole nother speed. Like it was, you know, when things started opening up, thing, we started feeling like back to normal. And now like we're, we're beyond where we were pre COVID from a activity um, level, which then adds even more from a stress level. And then mm-hmm. from there we get into all kinds of bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, I remember like just meeting. So we live in a really nice residential neighborhood, but people are so busy that we never really met our neighbors until co- like, well, six months into COVID when you could finally feel like it was okay to be outside around people. And um, so so certainly that was a forced subtraction. And of course, most of that stuff you want to come back right away. And, uh, and it was at a just tremendous, tremendous cost. But I, I do think that that's an illustration of taking a whole bunch of stuff off of your calendar. And it, it doesn't mean that nothing's going to happen. That's going to get filled up with other good things. Um, so, so yeah. And I think, you know, I, again, like our, our, and comparing i thought you were gonna go even farther back right it's just comparing it to when we were growing up there just weren't oh. as many um you know we're starting to see the the scope creep but i mean for me there's like okay there's one soccer team and it's for 10 weeks in the fall and then there's basketball and that's for 10 weeks and then and now it's like every single one of those sports has a okay here's the 10 different levels you can do and you've right. got to do Travel. it all year round and if you really want to be good you've got to move to a city where there's an academy team. And I mean, it's just, it's, and it's the same in every single 
category. So, so it does create this, it's a hard feeling as a parent because you want to do, obviously you want to do everything possible for your kids and give them every opportunity. But if you give them every opportunity, you're not really giving them any, I guess. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, ironically, I was just having this conversation with a parent the other day regarding sports and, and their, their comment to me was, it's like, there is no more youth level sports anymore. It's like, you're 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 either right. in the <laughs> travel everything academy upper echelon or you know you're you're you know sitting on the sidelines and i thought that was a really good point because i was actually just watching um i think it was actually 60 minutes i'm I, I, for being a 46 year old that's one of my favorite shows so <laughs> which my, my my wife Teresa makes fun of me all the time it's like it's like you, you've turned into an old man 60 minutes really I'm like but it's a great show and they were just having I, I think it was last Sunday they were talking about ways that parents could help reduce the cost of all the the, the travel sports and mm. to me it was like is this really necessary? And that's been my question all along. It's like, are all of these travel sports? I know we're going off a tangent here, but no, it's not a tangent. I mean, it's, it's exactly what we're talking about in some ways. And I think, I mean, like the, the travel sports one, it gets back to what we were talking about before with goals and how do you define enough? Right. And it's like so many, like I'll hear people non-ironically tell me that like, Oh, well, if, we're going to compete with Germany in the next world cup. This is how our soccer program, how our soccer system has to work. And it's like, I, I mean, I love soccer. It's the best sport. I like any time spent trying to get better at something is great, but that is not the goal here, right? That is yeah. not the goal. <laughs> I mean, sure. Like maybe, you know, sure. 20 people from, you know, the ages between five and 10 right now are going to represent our country at some world cup in the future. But the goal is not, is not to produce the best. Yeah. It's just so silly. Um, and I, I mean, anybody, if you took it back to that would be like, Oh yeah, you're right. What I really want for my kid is that they see how to get better at something and that they're forced to work and that they lose and, and realize that, you know, that that's part of life too. Um, so it's like all these things that, yeah, we're, we're like chasing the wrong goal. Yeah. I think it's, I, I, you may have just said this, but I think it's as a, as parents, we have this fear, I guess, if you will, that our kids are going to be, are going to get left behind. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and you know, I, the way that I look at that, it's like, well, I need, I need to help guide my kids on what they, what they want to do. Like what is enough for them? Because like the, the, the interesting thing about our family dynamics is that we have this Petri dish (laughs) because not only do we have this, these unique set of triplets and then, then our plus one, but even within our triplets, um, I don't know if you knew this or not. I think most of my audience knows is that there's a girl and then there's identical twin boys. <laughs> and so it's really, really unique. And they're all obviously different people, different personalities where like my girl is really into swimming and you can't give her enough. Like you can't keep her out of the pool. Right. But that's her choice. And like between Teresa and I, sometimes we're trying to have to pull her back to subtract because she needs to focus on school or, or other, you know, activities that she wants to do. Whereas like my boys, you know, go back to your Lego block thing. I have to add something to them because they, they're not as potentially as motivated or, or driven as, as their um, sisters are. And 
I, I just think it's a really interesting dynamic where, okay, again, it goes back to where do we draw the line? Like what are, what are we trying to help our kids or teach our kids or instill in our kids? And with, with me, I think in sports is just to be active and to learn um, how to communicate in a, in a team setting. So, right. yeah. Yeah. So, and it's, of, uh, and it's also, and I totally empathize with that point of like, you don't want to, I mean, I, cause I feel like, I, I mean, I can let my kids guide what they want, but they in some ways don't know what they're going to like at 10 years old. Right. right. So you don't want to like not give them enough exposure to soccer that they can't even pick it up when they're 10 and try to be part of the team. And I guess, I mean, that might be an irrational fear to have, but you do feel like you're missing the boat on some of these things at an age where you are the one who has to make the decision because the kids doesn't, isn't old enough to make a decision. It's like, yeah, I like everything. If you drive me to soccer, I love soccer. If you drive me to whatever, I like whatever. So um, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Ironically, my, my plus one Mackenzie, she's, she's like that. Like, she she wants to do everything and anything. And she's, I think she's still mad at me for not signing her up for flag football. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling her like, Mac, what, what are you going to do with flag football? Like we don't even like kick the ball. So it's like, you know, yeah. the only, only girls or women that I know that, you know, are in a football program are kickers. And uh-huh. she's like, well, I just want to play dad. And I'm like, well, Maybe next year when you'll know, all be this at the same uh, age group, and because I I coach my one son's team, and like again, like I I can only do so much. I can only juggle you know so many different schedules. But um, one of the one of the things like with with what I do personally from a, a wealth advisor standpoint is people have this this misconception that you know I I help get people rich and <laughs> and I I I try to squash that that stereotype and and I have this phrase where I'm like I don't help people get rich I help people become wealthy mm-hmm. and by wealthy I mean whatever that means to you however you define wealth it could be more time it could be um you know, travel it could be your 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 career. Um, you know, very different things. And one thing that 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 you had in in your in the book subtract is that I, I noted is to expand on the idea of why we don't get rich from adding. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of how that ties in. I think that the yeah, I mean, especially if you go back to your definition of, um, you know, of wealth, right? And it's like, okay, wealth can come from happiness. And there's just, there's just reams of research, not my research, but it's, I mean, it's a whole field showing that. Um, I read a know, lot of those books and yeah, research reports. <laughs> and more money doesn't doesn't correlate with more happiness right so it's another one of those things where you're kind of unthinkingly chasing more and um even though that might not be the what you're actually after that's actually it that's it, a good point because one of the one of the conversations i've been having lately and i it's just all over the news right now is this before it was the great resignation now it's quiet quitting yeah. And that's one one conversation I have often with people about, well, and, and it re- really revolves around subtraction is, does it make sense for me to take a step back in my career? 
Right. And uh, I, I actually, a, a mom of, of one plus triplets uh, that I just interviewed for um, show uh, Jane Monroe, she walks through what it was like making that decision with her and her husband because she was on the fast track to a director level role in a in a you know prominent company and because they had some family challenges in particular one one with her son that had severe ADHD she had to pull back and she had to really take a pause with her career um to to help support her family and her son and really fight for them and that's i i when i think of of the book and the lessons i've learned from it that's one area where I think people are asking that question more often, which I I'm really glad that they are because to me that shows self-awareness, which at the end of the day, that's what I think at the, is the the heart of all of this is being self-aware and even going back to that whole, um, how do you define enough? Well, I I tell people the, the, the first step to start down that path is set aside time, give yourself the gift of time, um, subtract something out from your schedule to give your yourself an hour to just think about what you want. Think about what you want to do. Yeah. And I would, um, I do think that that like taking a step back is can fall into a little bit of the mental block, right? Where you think about, okay, do I want to take a, how often do we think about like, you might think, oh, do I really want that promotion or do I just want to, or do I want to stay in the same role that I'm at? But very rarely do you think about like, okay, do I, can I make less money than what I'm currently making? Right. Maybe that's part of the equation here. And I'm not saying that that's the right choice all the time, or even most of the time, it's just like that option needs to be on the table when you're trying to figure out all these, um, all these life issues. And, And you saw that like, the great resignation kind of, again, another thing spurred a lot by the pandemic, right? I think so much of that was by people being like, oh, look, this is how I'm spending my time. Do I actually really want to do it? Which it's a shame it takes a, uh, it's a shame that people aren't already thinking of that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in addition to kind of reconsidering, like really forcing yourself to consider the stuff that you're already doing and make sure that you're kind of challenging the sacred cows. So I, I know I only have you for a finite period of time. So I want to get to my, my last couple okay. of questions. But um, what have you seen are maybe like the two or three best ways that people have utilized the concepts within your book, Subtract? Um, I think, I mean, making it a operating principle. So like building it into their process. I mean, there, there's a lot of great like kind of one-off things that people have subtracted, but I think the biggest thing is like, okay, if you've got a to-do list, do you also, when you're making your to-do list, think of stop doings, right? And these are things that like you're currently doing and you're not going to do. And what's nice about building it into the process is it works against this systematic bias that we have. I mean, the problem that we have is that we're overloaded. And so if we don't think about subtracting at the same time that we're thinking about adding, we're going to continue overloading ourselves. Um, I, there's a cool like regulation equivalent to that, where if you, I mean, you can do this at the family level too, right? If somebody's going to make a new rule, then you also have to propose two rules that you already have that might be able to be subtracted, right? Otherwise you're just going to keep having more and more and more and more rules. Um, and that's, you know, that's an example from like legislation that's been helpful, but I think, it, it, you know, the same thing happens with the 
in our in our individual household. So I think the big thing is like building it into your processes. I've seen people who on their annual evaluations are like, okay, now we're going to ask people not just like, what are the four things you're focusing on this upcoming year, but what's like one or two things or four things that you're going to sunset that you're currently doing. And now you're like, you're building it into the process. You're able to show, people are able to show competence by subtracting. So I think you know, that's the great, the, the one, if I could only have one piece of it thing, advice to leave people with, it's like, now that you're thinking about this, now that it's on your mind, thanks to Paul, like figure out how you can build it into your process. So you don't forget it in these important junctures in your life. Awesome. So that brings me to, um, my closing question, which I ask most of my guests, because most of them do have kids, Uh which is, what is the best thing about being a parent? Oh, the pause is not because there aren't any. It's because uh, there's so many. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's, it's, a good... t- it's like to boil it down in a, um, into a small bit of wisdom. The best thing about being... I mean, it's the kids, right? That's the best thing about being a parent is that you have kids. Um, I think, uh, I, I mean, it's got to be the little moments, right? It's like the things that when you're, especially the contrast, like when you're just running around stressed all, all day and then like, I mean, uh, and then the kid just does something amazing, whether it's like, holy cow they were actually like somebody taught them to (laughs) say thank you or to ask how i'm feeling and or just does something funny i mean i was like riding with my daughter in the car the other day and um just me and her in the car she's three and a half and i'm trying to make conversation with her about you know hey this is like a priceless moment dad and daughter (laughs) and you know we gotta this time goes by so fast that's what everybody tells me and um so I'm like talking to her about her day and then asking her a couple of questions. And then eventually she's like, I just want to be alone with my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> a three and a half year old. <laughs> yeah. And she, I think she got it from a movie, but I mean, she knew exactly what it meant, but she got the phrase from a movie and I was like, fair enough. I like being alone with my thoughts too. But, but like that kind of thing, it's like when there's no way you could ever orchestrate something that meaningful and funny in without having kids yeah and that's the that's the thing i love about that that closing question is the yeah i've been doing this show now for almost two years and the diversity of answers like everybody has a a completely different answer and Uh so um you know yours yours was was spot on because i think i completely agree with you it's those those little moments that keep you coming back it's not like you can ever leave but it's, it's like, not like you have a choice but right yeah we yeah but it's yeah. it's definitely like it's like it's reassurance as a parent that okay i know i'm, I, I'm not completely failing i i think so <laughs> yeah or or if i am completely failing it doesn't matter because the kids figuring it out on their own somehow yeah right <laughs> Well, Lighty Klotz, thank you so much for being on on the show. I, I know we'll we'll probably have more conversations down the road, but I, but uh, for the audience, definitely check out um, Lighty's book, um, some tract. We'll have links in our show notes to uh, the book and how to reach uh, uh, Lighty on social media and follow his work. But thanks, Lighty. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Paul. Keep up the good work. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.